Henge 4. Are there little green men in flying saucers waiting to reach out to us? Is there a yeti stomping about the snowy mountains? This is Fiorella de Maria bringing you the early show all the way from an unseasonably warm and sunny England. Should I say anything on the program that strikes a call, interests you, or heaven help me, on your stomping great Monday morning breakfast, please let me know. As always, our call and telephone number is 844-527-8723. That's 844-527-8723. And the Crusader Stadium chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. It is Curious Events Day, celebrating mysteries large and small. What are the great mysteries that most keep you awake at night what happened to the crew of the mary celeste is bigfoot real did any of those crop circles that appeared all over the wiltshire countryside really get made by drunken farmers or were they made by flying saucers we all love a good mystery we all love a good conspiracy theory So today is the day to celebrate and consider all those mysteries that really fascinate you. You could celebrate by reading or watching documentaries about some of the more famous incidences, the Bermuda Triangle disappearances, the Loch Ness Monster, UFO sightings, or you could become a sleuth yourself and try to find explanations for the curious events that most intrigue you. As a little bit of trivia, did you know that the English language idiom curiosity killed the cat means getting curious and prying into other people's affairs can get one into serious trouble. This is not just a day to ponder the really big mysteries of life. It's also the day to consider those little things that really, really bother you. Why do socks disappear when you do the laundry? Why do women pull really odd faces when applying their mascara? Just a thought. Does anything eat wasps? So have a think about all of those little mysteries and tell me, what is the mystery that most keeps you awake at night? What mystery would you most... When you get to those pearly gates, what is the first question? What is the first question you're going to ask St. Peter? what, What is it you really, really need to know? Justin's saying... Yes, Bigfoot is real. The circles are the landing spots for UFOs. The crew of the Mary Celeste were abducted by aliens. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I tell you what, the thing with the crop circles, I don't know if there was this, this phase of crop circle mania in the States, but we were obsessed with them. It was, it was the early nineties. I remember I was sort of in, in early adolescence, just that sort of age to be really fascinated by stuff like this. Every summer when the wheat was high, crop circles would start to appear everywhere and they started off as simple circles then they became really complex geometric designs then they became acid man faces and all and snowflakes and all sorts of things there were people who dedicated their lives to trying to work this one out was it a weather event was it a, a communication from another planet? That was the favorite there was even that really scary film signs by Mel Gibson 
where aliens invade after leaving crop circles as signs that it was coming. Um, you know, and, and it was it was so much a part of the, the imagination. However, eventually a number of farmers admitted they'd been making them for years. They'd got more and more inventive. And it was a very good way to get people to come to their farms. Let's face it, if you're a Wiltshire farmer, there's not a lot of spare cash about. And having large numbers of gullible individuals poking around your fields, paying for a tour of your crop circle, we know it was a pretty nice thing to do. I had a teacher who was obsessed with crop circles and she was convinced not only were crop circles caused by aliens, but that the farmers had been bribed or threatened into saying they did them so there we go and that's the great thing about any conspiracy theory no matter how many rational explanations there are there will always be some way of getting around it justin saying i thought the bermuda triangle and quicksand were going to be a bigger problem back in the 90s i do remember the bermuda triangle being talked about a lot um, I used to be spooked. There's a place um, in the south of England called Winnersh Triangle. It's actually really boring, but I remember it got into my head somehow that this was probably really dangerous. My understanding is the reason why so many planes get lost um, around the Bermuda Triangle is to do with um, there's something very confusing about the lie of the land, that there's a series of islands that look very, very similar. So pilots lose their, they get disorientated. They, they lose their bearings. I thought that was one of the theories. Anyway, there are so many wonderful theories out there and there are so many mysterious events. The Mary Celeste is one of my favourites. Really is. I'd, I'd love to know what happened to the crew of the Mary Celeste. That's my little thing. I, I will need to know that when I go to my maker. Anyway, um, let us start with a genuine weird event. Okay. There's no mystery about this. This is really happening. Oh, the King Dude is saying, what happened to the crew of the HMS Terror? I do not know anything about the HMS Terror. Um, this is a, a mystery that uh, has completely escaped me. So you'll have to tell me more about it. Tell me more in the chat room. What happened to the HMS Terror? Um, oh, Denise Emma saying, it's all just weird, but still naturally occurring. Aliens are demons. Oh, Justin's saying they were pressed into service by Davy Jones. I quite like I, I like these these maritime mysteries. I'm I'm quite I'm quite curious about all the weird superstitions of the sea. Um, I came from a very small island. I'm now living in a slightly less small island. So the navy and the sea and boats are a cause of endless fascination. But anyway, yes, weird event that is actually completely real. Now Japan has problems, right? Really big problems. The biggest problem being a terminally declining population. Japan has the oldest population in the world. And therefore, depopulation is becoming more and more and more of a problem. Um, people are not having children. And it's also not an easy country to settle in permanently. It's quite xenophobic and they don't they don't like immigration. So unlike other countries which have made up for the deficit, as it were, by uh, inviting people in, that is also not happening. So it's really quite a serious problem. And added to the rapidly aging population is rapid urbanization. Those people there are, those young people that there are, are moving very quickly into the cities and leaving the small towns and villages 
far behind. And in many cases, these villages are just disappearing. They're completely depopulating to the extent that the authorities are just cutting the power, cutting the services, because there's you know, 20 people living in a village that had once um, been occupied by 800 people. It's just not worth keeping services going. And one of the many consequences of this is that bears, which normally lived in the mountains, are starting to tiptoe closer and closer to human habitations. Because in the past, these great swathes of farmland acted as a buffer zone between the mountains and the cities. Bears would not come anywhere near the farmland. They certainly would not go anywhere near the cities. But now those farmlands are mostly wilderness. Bears are tiptoeing. Mike, is that you? Um, sorry, I'm getting a bit of interference. Um, and um, Mike, I can hear you. Um, so the bears are now starting to creep into the cities and you're getting bear attacks. Really, really serious bear attacks and people dying. It's become a really major problem. The bears are getting bolder and bolder. They also don't have as many acorns as they used to, apparently. So they're coming to sort of try and feed in the cities. To try to deal with this, what, what is Japan going to do? It, it creates technology to try to deal with it. So they have created robotic wolves to send out to frighten the bears. It looks so weird so so weird that literally that there's the, the mechanical wolves that they go and they, they howl and they've got red eyes and they frighten away the bears but my feeling is okay if it's weird it doesn't matter if it works my guess is that eventually the bears will get wise to the fact that they're not real i think like most animals instincts will take over they will start to notice that those are not really a threat um Wow, there's loads of stuff. Okay, so the, the crew of the HMS Terror, right. Um, King Dude is saying A&E made a mini-series about it. They tried to navigate the Northwest Passage but never returned. A&E speculated a giant, rapid, rabid polar bear ate the crew after the ship got stuck in the ice. Oh, that's horrible. That's a really, really awful way to go. Um, I'm just guessing, though, that if a ship just never comes back, there are so many things that could have happened. I mean, might it just have gone down? Might, it, might they just sort of drown? Please, could it not be a rabid polar bear? That's just really unpleasant. Jacqueline, bears are tiptoeing through the tulips. Is that a song? It sounds like it should be the first line to a song. Um, I have been asked, by the way, to make you aware of a few things um first of all let me just try and get this into the chat room yay it worked okay um right um that link i've put into the chat room ihopelondon.org please look it up and please add your name to the prayer warriors joe clovis who did such a wonderful job filling in for me last week i'm hugely grateful he is leading a gathering on the 12th of October, outside IPPF's HQ, their international headquarters, the international headquarters of IPPF, for various reasons. And so they are going to, on Thursday the 12th, they are going to pray the Most Holy Rosary outside HQ. And 
what London. Most of you can't get to London, but you can pray from your homes, and that would be a really beautiful thing. Okay, so that's Thursday the 12th of October, and the link is ihopelondon.org. I've put it in the chat room. Please, please do sign up. It's, it's wonderful for morale to know that there are people all over the world who are praying at the same time. Maggie, that looks terrifying. This is this is the um, this is the publicity for the documentary, The Terror. Yes, I just one more reason not to go to sea, just to be fascinated by it from very very far away. It is twenty minutes past the hour. You are listening to the early show with your hostess Fiorella de Maria in an unseasonably warm England. It's really weirdly warm for October but I really shouldn't complain um, because I'm always moaning about the bad weather if you've missed the show so far never fear you can get the whole of the early show as a podcast same day from crusademax.com and while I have your attention I hope I have it all the time but while I have your attention please consider donating be the first person to make a donation to the crusade channel this morning press that donate button in the chat room and I will give you a shout out on air that would be just wonderful who is going to be the first one this fine Monday morning to make a donation to keep the crusade channel on air and where would your mornings be these days without the early show so please consider make a donation. There's a October fundraising goal of 4.5. I nearly said 4.5 million dollars. 4.5 thousand dollars. There we go. Um, Jacqueline saying it's 59 degrees in Florida this morning. I don't remember honestly an autumn this warm. Um, I mean, yesterday I was out in my shirt sleeves. Um, my, one of my children was doing um, one of these park runs. And it was hot. You know, normally you'd be in your coat and getting your gloves and hats out by this time of the year. But it was it was almost a bit spooky. It's so unseasonal. But, you know, there we go. Um, it's a lot worse for people who are dealing with really serious heat. So if you have missed the show so far, it's Curious Events Day. What is the mysterious event that most interests you, that most that you would most love to solve? Um, are you fascinated by aliens or mysterious events at sea or the possible existence of strange creatures, Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster? Um, do you wonder what happened to the crew of the Mary Celeste? Or do you just wonder what on earth happens to your socks when you put them in the washing machine? Whatever that mystery is, let me know in the chat room. What is it that most interests you? And I have asked, pretty please, who will be the first to make a donation this morning? Press that donate button and I will give you a shout out on air. It is also, and I should have said this first. Why did I not say this first? It is the feast day of John Henry Newman today. Great English saint and a particular favourite of mine. My father-in-law wrote a book about, in fact, he's written several books about John Henry Newman. He's quite an expert. And we were all there when there was the papal visit, when... Our beloved Pope Benedict came to England on a visit. Um, we were there in Birmingham 
for the beatification. It was a truly beautiful, such a happy event. Um, I have very, very fond memories of that. So, St. John Henry Newman, pray for us. You are needed. On a rather more serious note... Um, oh, sorry, Denise, I'm saying I thought I'd be tuning out about now. I was supposed to be watching my seven-year-old grandson who's also autistic and has behavioural issues. My daughter-in-law texted me that her dad will watch him today. Hip, hip, hooray! <laughs> well, I feel your relief, Denise. You can just relax or... As, as much as you can relax because you've got quite a lot to um quite a lot to occupy yourself um oh Jacqueline say 59 is is 15 degrees celsius oh it's it's lower than i thought it was yes 15 is, is not bad for isn't, isn't that fairly cool for florida am i am i right about that um it's it must have been 20 here before, yesterday i'm sure it was just so warm um what is this oh Jacqueline that is beautiful Gosh, where is this? Um, was there a procession in your parish at the weekend? Is this what this is? Um, all right, Maggie saying it's downright chilly. Okay, a rosary walk yesterday. That is so lovely. I wish we had stuff like this here. There are rosary walks in uh, in London, but that's something I do miss from Malta. Is that there were so many processions you could just you could just join in with. Here we go. Oh, that's lovely. Gosh, but it does, it looks quite overcast. There we are. That's really beautiful. Well, thank you for sharing. Um, Dr. Torres is saying, I have the book, The Terror by Dan Simmons. He also wrote my most favorite horror novel. Well, there we are. I'm going to have to read this, aren't I? This, do you realize I now have a reading list a mile long? Um, Jacqueline saying, those are my previous, current and future boys. Oh, that, you must be so proud, Jacqueline. That is just beautiful and true lovely flowers as well dan simmons the terror am i brave enough to read this um carrion comfort that also looks really really scary i think carrion comfort might be a step too far for me dr torres but maybe the terror i will i will possibly consider reading the terror just because I like a good mystery but i do hope it wasn't polar bears i really do now <clears throat> There is no mystery here. This is a, a terrible story. And I'm really hoping that these women get some kind of compensation, though I don't think there is any compensation that can possibly make up for what has happened to them. Inuit living in Greenland have fought for years for justice after they were forcibly and often without their knowledge given IUDs and other forms of semi-permanent birth control. Denmark and Greenland have formally agreed to launch an investigation. My heart says the words launch an investigation, a two-year investigation into historic birth control practices carried out on Inuit Greenlanders by Danish doctors. It's a start, but I think they should be moving a lot more quickly, given the age of some of these women. Thousands of Inuit women and girls were given IUDs, uh, sometimes known as the COIL, in the 60s and 70s. Now, bear in mind, this is right up to the 70s. Um, this is not, you know, 
back in you know, the, the time of Nazi Germany. This is, this is right in the 70s, okay? This was happening. Um, one woman, um, her name's Naya, was when she had the coil implanted. She had no idea what was going on. It was never explained to her. She was never given. She never gave her permission. She was frightened to death. She didn't want to tell her parents. Members um, said it was incredibly painful. She just remembers being being forced into this, um, and she has been instrumental in campaigning to get justice. Um, up to 4,500 women and girls, roughly half of all female fertile females in the Inuit community had an IUD implanted between 66 and 70, between 1966 and 1970. But the practice continued well into the mid-70s. Um, girls were as young as 12. Some of them have suffered lifelong health problems and, of course, unexplained infertility. That was the terrible thing. It was in many cases they did not know why they could not have children. Some of them only discovered that they had the IUD during um, a routine medical examination many years later. And as this Inuit woman pointed out, she said, you know, how would Danish, how would people react if Danish women instead of Icelandic women had suffered like this? They were deliberately targeted because they were an ethnic minority. It was it's recognized as a form of genocide. And it is so outrageous what these women have been through, those years of pain, of childlessness. And finally, I mean, the fact that it has taken so long, such a very, very long time for the Danish government even to acknowledge the need for an investigation it's it's absolutely horrific. Um, what they are saying, a lot of these women are saying is they need the compensation now. They need the acknowledgement now because many of them are getting very elderly. A lot of them will die before this in investigation is completed. They want justice now. Um, it's I, I just I feel so angry for them. And I just don't feel that nearly enough is said about the use of so-called birth control to control populations, the number of atrocities that have been carried out against women using birth control. And it is still happening. It's happening to the Uyghur population in China. And there's a remarkable lack of interest in talking about this. This is not something that belongs in the eugenic policies of the 1930s. This is something that has gone on and on. That is still happening. Um, back in the chat room. Yes, Maggie, Carrying Comfort has, yes, nope, can't read that. Scary cover. Yeah, I don't think, um, I don't think I wish to read it, even just looking at it, possibly the other one. Jacqueline's saying, all those babies aborted. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just horrific. And Denise, I'm making the point. Contraception is misleading. IUD prevents an embryo from attaching to the uterine wall. Dr. Um, um, saying, do not confuse um, with IED, an improvised explosive device, with an IUD intrauterine device will kill more than one if you do. Um, sorry, Dr. Torres, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really 
I'm not really finding very much funny looking at this story. Um, yeah, it's it's right. You should say that, uh, Denise, just to remember that this is, in fact, an abortifacient um, device. It does prevent the embryo from implanting. And this makes people very angry. I once I actually had to leave um, a pro-life group. Would you believe it? A Maltese pro-life group on Facebook. Um, I joined because I wanted to help. You know, that there's a huge huge pressure at the moment to make more to change its pro-life laws you know i thought i might be able to help and one question someone innocently put in the chat room once in the, in the, the facebook chat was um is the coil contraception or abortion and i said well actually it's abortive because and i explained the, the way the mechanisms work and i got such angry responses oh come on you lose the argument if you say that and nobody will listen to you nobody will take you seriously we've got to promote contraception or we'll have abortion in five years da, 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 da. um and eventually i just said look i'm very sorry a question was asked and i gave a factual answer i don't need to come on i just gave the answer um and I'll now leave you all to it. Goodbye and good luck. Um, and I just, I left the group because, but it, it made people so angry. You know, we've got to be honest about the mechanisms involved in these, um, in, in so many of these devices. But it, what is so horrible is that, is the thought that so many of those women had no idea why they could not conceive, had no idea why they were so ill. You wonder if there were women who died who had re those really, really extreme effects? It's it's just horrible, and and it's such a, a violation to do that, particularly to a girl. I mean, the pain, the embarrassment, the humiliation—it it just doesn't bear thinking about. And if that happened to my daughter, I, I just can't imagine how you'd bear it. Um, Denise um, saying, "I have carried the guilt since 1973, aborting the only child I was ever given by God. My children are adopted post foster care." You know, Denise, you are. You are an amazing woman, you know, and I know that I've worked with post-abortive women for so many years and I know how hard it is, but God loves you and you are doing wonderful work. You know, please be at peace. Your child is waiting for you. It is coming up to an ad break now. You are listening to The Early Show. Our call-in telephone number is 844-527-8723. That's 844-527-8723. And the Crusader Stadium chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. Do talk to me. Do join the conversation. The Early Show will continue in a few moments here on the Crusade Channel, live talk radio, the way it should be.
Rises and Insomniacs and those of you catching the show's rebroadcast at midday. For those of you just joining us, you are listening to The Early Show with your hostess from across the pond, Fiorella de Maria. Our call-in telephone number is 844-527-8723. That's 844-527-8723. And the Crusader Stadium chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. Do talk to me. Do join the conversation as you enjoy a hearty breakfast of, I don't know, pancakes and muffins and pastries and everything your heart desires. In fact, I think given the heavy nature of this morning's show, perhaps another chat about food is in order. If you have missed the show so far, never fear. You can get the whole of the early show as a podcast. Same day from crusademax.com. And since it's, you know, October and, well, the time of year when you might want to be thinking of being generous, why not consider pressing that donate button and I'll give you a shout out on the early show. Who is going to be the first person to donate today? Don't run off your starting blocks or anything like that. We have been talking about curious events. It is today a celebration of curious events. What is Stonehenge for? Are there aliens out there trying to make contact? Is there a Yeti? Is there a Loch Ness Monster? Does anything eat wasps? Let me know. It seems the HMS Terror and whatever happened to its ill-fated inhabitants seems to be a particular interest. I just hope it had nothing to do with the polar bear. Finally, the things that really can get to you eventually. There was a an event, I've just remembered, Years ago, archaeologists found there was this valley. I can't remember where it was. They found well over a hundred skeletons with their skulls bashed in. It was horrible, you know, men, women, children, um, and they had no idea what had happened to them. There were no remnants of any weapons, but you know, this would have been many, many hundreds of years ago. So there was obviously not going to be very much evidence left as to what happened to them. And it really did look very macabre. And it, the feeling was, you know, had they been driven into that valley and massacred? You know, had they been clubbed to death or something? But all the skeletons, all the skulls had the same sort of injury, not necessarily in the same place on the skull, but they all had this very, very serious blunt force injury. And they worked out eventually that it wasn't a massacre. It was not genocide. It was a freak weather event. What they think happened was that there was a sudden, really severe hailstorm and massive hailstones the size of small rocks just came pelting down on these people. There was no shelter. There was nowhere for them to run. And of course, because there were hailstones, they then melted, leaving no evidence and of course, there may perhaps have been some survivors who managed to limp away, but that, that is actually what happened. It's terrifying. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why people find archaeology interesting, because it's, it's part of the puzzle, isn't it? Trying to work out what's going on. I also mentioned that a real weird event is that in Japan, they're trying to chase away bears from the cities with robotic wolves. My guess is that bears will eventually work out that these wolves are not real and just start tearing them to pieces or walking past them. Japan has a rapidly decreasing human population and conversely, um, conversely an increasing 
their population with at times disastrous results. Joe Clovis, who so ably fills in for me from time to time, has asked that I publicise, please, on Thursday, the 12th of October, his group, I Hope London, will be praying outside IPPF headquarters, uh, which for all sorts of reasons I won't go into happens to be in London, but prayer is universal. So please, please, everyone on Thursday, the 12th, please offer a decade of the rosary for I Hope's intentions. Um, Joe London UK is saying, I don't know what's going on, Fiorella. I was listening on my phone. There was a restart, then another restart, then nothing came inside of my PC. Um, it, there you were as bright as a button talking about contraception and then went uh, to a break. Unfortunately, I can't sit and listen to you. I have to work while I listen. So let's go. Now, why shouldn't you just sit there and listen? What better thing can there be to do first thing in the morning than sitting and listening to me? There are some connectivity issues, but they seem to be being sorted out. So please just hang in there. The main story I'm talking about today is that of the Inuit Greenlanders who are demanding compensation and an apology for being fitted with IUDs in the 60s and 70s without their knowledge or consent. Some of the women involved were only children. They were as young as 12 when they were fitted with IUDs without their knowledge. Many have suffered years of illness and pain and, of course, unexplained childlessness. This is a terrible scandal and one that needs to be addressed compassionately. Jacqueline saying, I'm so surprised that not more people died. You're not supposed to remove those things that um, you're, you're supposed to remove those things and not considered permanent. Well, that was my feeling, Jacqueline, is that um, I think the IUD is supposed to be removed every five years. Some of these women had them in for decades. Uh, they only discovered they had them after you know routine um, consultation with a doctor where it was found. So I'm sure that there were women who died. I'd be very surprised if there weren't women who ended up with sepsis, for example. Um, it just doesn't bear thinking about. And of course, because if they didn't know they had the IUD, they wouldn't have understood where the illness was coming from. So this is a terrible scandal. And I hope Denmark is going to compensate these women properly and speedily because a lot of them are very elderly and are already, uh, are already dying off. They don't want to have to see a long protracted whitewash of an inquiry. Um, and then not live to see the results. The head of the inquiry, the person who's been asked to investigate, has been told they have to investigate properly to see whether or not it's genocide. It is genocide. It is recognised. Forced birth control. Forced birth control and forced abortion are recognised internationally as genocide. It is no surprise that these practices tend to be forced upon minority groups who are unpopular in their country. Exactly the same thing is happening to Uyghur Chinese at the moment. Um, you know, the, the Chinese authorities, I think the, the latest um, estimate is that 75% of Uyghur women have been forcibly sterilized. You know, this is a huge outrage, but we do not talk nearly enough about the way in which birth control is used to attack and oppress populations. In Humane Vitae, way back in the 60s, that warning was made that governments would use contraception and other forms of birth control to control populations. That once you take control like that, once you take fertility away from the safety of marriage and the safety of just couples getting on with things, 
it will be imposed. It will stop being a choice. It will be imposed by governments. Everyone laughed. Nobody believed that could happen. But it did. And it was always going to happen. And it's happened in many countries. Now, good morning, Tom. Good morning, Chicken Lady. Um, oh, Jacqueline's saying uh, they filmed one scene from the original Jeepers Creepers movie a few miles from our house in an old farm. Gosh, does anyone go near that farm anymore? That sounds really scary. There's something about abandoned buildings that's always very frightening. When we were watching Stranger Things, we really noticed the way horror films, they, they tend to use things like abandoned schools or empty schools or empty hospitals. There's something about empty institutions that are particularly spooky, but really good horror stories tend to be particularly adept at taking everyday things that frighten people like, well, in the last series of Stranger Things, spiders and grandfather clocks. What is it about ticking grandfather clocks is so frightening and really using them well? It is 51 minutes past the hour. You are listening to The Early Show with your hostess from across the pond, Fiorella de Maria, in an unseasonably warm autumnal England. If you've missed the show so far, never fear. You can get the whole of The Early Show as a podcast, same day, from crusademax.com. And might I suggest there's a lovely shiny donate button in the chat room that you give it a press, and I will give you a shout-out. There we are. Who is going to be the first person today, this week, indeed, to donate? Over the weekend have to say this we watched a feel-good film forget horror films for the moment my skating daughter is injured and you know it's a bit miserable having to be off the ice you know with leg propped up and things like that it's, you know, it's very very discouraging so we watched the gabby douglas story and i tell you something if you want a really good just not just a feel-good film but a film that is so inspiring that encourages young people to persevere to be strong to work hard um, a film that shows the way a family in very difficult circumstances rally together to help one of their own it is a beautiful story it really is so inspiring and so beautifully shot. You know, it, they splice real footage of Gabby Douglas, you know, twirling about on the bar and stuff like that at the Olympics, with the scenes they've um, they've produced. It's um, <laughs> it, it did make me smile because I found it really relatable because you keep seeing through the film the the mother sitting at the sidelines looking absolutely petrified while her daughter performs and I thought yes yeah I feel like that though my daughter says that coaches never give those long inspiring talks that you it's just sort of get on with it can you just try that double axel again please or whatever but it's a really good film. I really, really recommend it. I don't normally make film recommendations, but it really was truly beautiful. On the subject of inspirational sports people, I mean, sport is inspiring, isn't it? You know, um, this is not unfortunately as much of a feel-good story as it should be. But there is a tennis player over here who's she's very, very popular. Um, Emma Raducanu, sorry, yes, Raducanu. She's a um, young woman. She made a big breakthrough in 2021. And she is a great inspiration. You know, young woman who's 
really, really doing well. She won the US Open, um, and, but unfortunately had to pull out of uh, Wimbledon some time ago. She has, however, taken part in a rather questionable advert. Now, bear in mind that all elite athletes, they are very reliant on sponsorship. You know, that's just a fact. It's just the way it is. Um, they are very, very reliant on sponsorship in order to train. It's an expensive way of life. It's an expensive career choice. And without sponsorship, many athletes just would never be able to get there. You know, we're trying to get sponsorship for my daughter at the moment. It is really tough. But she was asked to act in an advert for her sponsor, a bank, in fact. Uh, which bank is it? I think, was it Barclays? Um, and it was really, really cringy. Um, it's a an advert that rewrites classic fairy stories, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty and Rapunzel, with a fresh take on their original storylines. And um, in the reworked story, Cinderella is a, is a successful businesswoman who designs her own sports shoes. Um, Rapunzel becomes a property mogul because she rents out her tower. And Sleeping Beauty becomes rich from interest earned during her 100-year-long hundred year long, oh, it's H HSBC, sorry, 100-year-long nap. It's actually quite a fun idea, but the whole message is very much um, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty and Rapunzel are all successful young women, says the tennis star. They use their brains, imagination and good sense to earn enough money to look after themselves without a prince charming in sight. What a great story. In the end, princesses didn't need a prince to save them. They set up their own businesses, saved their money and spent it wisely. So the whole message is very much, you know, um, we don't need men. You know, women get where they want to be without men. Piers Morgan, who I don't like at all, I have to say, he's not my favourite media personality by a long way. He's one of these sort of motormouth TV hosts who goes out of his way to offend everybody. But he responded to this um, by pointing out that, yeah, that's, such, that's a really honest message. Well done. So she has never needed any men, as far as we know, to get where she is today, except her father, who manages her career, and her five coaches, who are male. He is, of course, annoyingly right on this one. Whereas I appreciate that what this tennis player is trying to do is to um, to make the point that you know women can women don't need to sit there waiting to be rescued. Okay, I get that completely, but as with so many of these feminist messages, they miss the obvious point: we all need each other. It's not a question of women need men or men need women. We need one another, and it's childish and simply not true to claim that anyone can get where they want on their own. None of us do. Yes, Emma is a successful sportswoman. She would not be a successful tennis player if she had not put in many, many hours of painful, punishing training. I know better than most just how much effort these young athletes put into their sports. You know, they make it look so easy. Very few people see those very, very long hours, those early starts, those injuries, those tears. But... 
none of them get there on their own. They all have teams of people working with them that we never see and that very rarely get any credit. Coaches, multiple coaches, very rarely just one. A physio, a doctor, um, a manager, a sponsor, a parent having a quick heart attack every single time they perform. You know, the number of sacrifices that get made and the effort that gets put on by so many people for an athlete to get there. That was what I found very impressive about the Gabby Douglas story is it really did show that the way this girl, you know, she was from a very poor family. She was one of four children and her siblings cared so much about her. They recognized that you know, she was someone who could go places. They gave up their own sporting ambitions so that she could progress. They knew that the poor mother could not possibly afford to fund all of them. So they all gave up. Her older sister desperately wanted to be a gymnast. Her other sister was a skater. I can't remember what it was her brother did. But they gave up everything so that she could go to the Olympics. And these sorts of adverts that make it out that, you know, you if you dream enough, you can get where you want. No, you can't. It just doesn't work that way. Um, good morning, Paul C. 37 degrees in Michigan with frost on the car windows. This is not right. This is this is not normal. England is warm and you are freezing. I can't believe this is happening, but I am actually warm. I'm, I'm sitting in quite a light, a light blouse because I'm actually hot. Um, this, this is deeply odd. Very, very sinister things are going on with the planet, evidently. Jacqueline saying Lake Wales, Florida has a spook hill. Um, you see things roll uphill. It's an optical illusion, but close to it is an old abandoned hotel that I find more creepy than the hill. Yes, this is very much, um, we've been talking about, you know, creepy events and curious events. And what is the event you would like to, you'd like to find the answer to. But yes, there are certain things that are just naturally spooky and an abandoned hotel is pretty good. I watched a murder mystery once i only watched the first episode because it was just so depressing i i couldn't i couldn't deal with more than one episode but the the place where all the dodgy things happened it's an abandoned children's home but it's been converted into a hotel but the upper floor where the attics are with all the storage and all the all the documents and things has not been touched since the the children were there and since they were moved out and it is so spooky it is it's just really really frightening um justin's saying i love when piers cries when man man united beat his beloved arsenal of course i mean i tell you what the distress that grown men go through when their football team loses i mean you wouldn't believe it i worked in an office years ago where pretty much all the men in the office it was a largely male office were Arsenal supporters. It just happened to be the nearest football club, I think. So I used to check the back page of the Metro newspaper, the sports page, to see how Arsenal was doing, because I knew if Arsenal had lost a match the night before, it was going to be a really stressful day. And if they'd won, it was, this was going to be the moment to mention my you know, holiday plans and things like that. Yeah. Um, Dr. Torres saying, I watched a documentary titled Fill in the Blanks, a tale of family secrets born out of insemination during the 1970s. Imagine doing a DNA test and finding out 
you have a dozen half siblings at a time when men were when women were aborting their unborn babies there were couples who wanted children but couldn't have them naturally Many impotent fathers felt shame throughout their lives for not being able to give their wives children. Parents can never love anyone more than their own biological children. I think artificial insemination must be forbidden by the church, considering all the deceit and lying that seems to go with it. Artificial insemination is forbidden. Um, I... I see the point you're making, Dr. Torres. I do not agree for a moment that parents can never love anyone more than their own biological children because... I have known many families who have adopted children, and I would never dream of saying they do not love their adopted children as intensely as they would have loved biological children. Um, I have been humbled by the love between parents and their adopted children, uh, many of whom, in many cases, they saved from orphanages all over the world um, where they would have had a terrible life. Um, I do believe it, it's it is possible for a person to love a child unconditionally. Um, but I do think, however, that I do, however, think that the well, IVF itself, but in artificial insemination has so many horrendous problems associated with it, which is why anonymous donation has now been stopped in a number of countries because you're getting, I mean, horrific situation. Never mind discovering you've got half a dozen half siblings, but imagine discovering the person you intend to marry is actually a sibling. It's actually biologically related to you. It has happened. It's just horrific. I mean, it creates all sorts of difficulties that wasn't, I just don't think were ever even considered when IVF first started. Um, we're seeing a lot about what's happening in the Holy Land at the moment. Now, there is a, a little twist to that story. Um, the Gaza Strip is one of the poorest places in the world. There are 1.7 million people living there in extreme poverty, 80% of whom are completely dependent on food handouts and food aid. What is not talked about so much is that for the last 20 years, IVF clinics, Western IVF clinics, have moved in because they've worked out that there is a huge amount of shame um, in Arab culture, in, in many cultures, to be honest, about not being able to have children. Um, the haram of infertility is very, very serious. So they exploit this and have opened clinics in Gaza where couples feel pressured to sell everything they own to get into terrible debts, borrowing from, from family members, sometimes from very unscrupulous sources, to try to fund expensive fertility treatment. At the same time that there are orphanages in that part of the world with little children who've lost parents in the Intifada who would do anything have a loving couple adopt them it's just it's a horrific situation um denise m saying it's all part of satan's plan to destroy humanity created in the image of god dr torres saying it's not the same having adopted children is not the same thing i'm not sure i agree with you actually dr torres but can we open the floor to discussion here is it really the case that parents can never love children as much as their biological children I, I actually don't. I actually don't think I believe you. Um, I, I just. I know it's. It's not the same. It is not the same. Um, the, the biological link is 
very particular, but is it really the case that you can't love a child as much if you didn't give birth to them? I'm, I'm really not sure I can accept that. Does anyone else have anything to say on that subject? Um, but yes, I just feel that there needs to be a lot more honesty about the abuses that go on in the name of both preventing fertility and circumventing it. I won't say, I mean, because the fact is IVF does not cure infertility. It just tries to circumvent it. But the more we play with fertility, there are so many, um, there are so many issues there. Um, Dr. Torres is saying, um, I know a mother of an adopted child who later was able to bear children tell me the love she had for her biological child was immensely different. She was grateful for the child she adopted and would do anything for her. But she said the bond was different. It may be different. It may not be weaker, though. Sure, it may be. It may feel different. Um, but I don't see that it would be less intense somehow. Um, one of the things that has been noted, in fact, is that I mean, obviously, a lot of research has been conducted into the differences between um, well, the experience of people with biological children and adopted children, because adoption has always happened. It's happened since the dawn of time. However, it's only very recently with IVF, with surrogacy, with other issues like, like that coming to the fore, with other, um, other ways of manipulating fertility coming about, that... We've had situations, for example, where a child can be born to a surrogate without being at all genetically connected with the birth mother. This is a completely un unnatural situation where a woman can carry a baby in her womb to whom she has no genetic connection. But what they have found is with studies, though there have not been nearly as many, is that the gestational connection is actually stronger than the genetic that even if a woman has no genetic connection with the child she bears, she will feel a very, very close, very intense bond with that child because of everything that happens during pregnancy. Because everything that happens during pregnancy is meant to make a mother and baby bond. And there's actually a worry now that the gestational bond may be stronger than the genetic bond. And the assumption that's always been made that obviously if a baby is adopted, a, ch a child is adopted that the adoptive parents will need some support, adjusting and all of the rest. But with surrogacy, oh, it doesn't matter because, you know, it wasn't her baby, was it? So they give it to the they give it to the biological parents and it's okay. It isn't. There may be very, very profound problems with taking a baby away from the woman who bore her. Um Philip's saying, there is a point that you love all your children differently, adopted and biological. I'd, he I'd hesitate to quantify the amount of love. It's just different. Yes, I'm, I would be prepared to accept that. Because I also think, even with one's biological children, the relationship can be different. It can, it can vary on, you know, depending on the personality of the child. Um, I mean, I certainly have seen families where a mother finds it easier, is quite noticeably closer to a daughter than a son or the other way around um, and that that may have all sorts of reasons behind it maybe the relationship the mother had with her own parents and all the rest or whether she had siblings whether she had brothers or sisters or whatever um, I would not suggest that the relationships were you know, less important, but certainly different. Certainly different. I think I think we can probably acknowledge that. Um, Dr. Torres saying, I think it's less intense because of that knowledge. This is my offspring, the fruit of my loins, my spitting image. The strange thing is, Dr. Torres, I have noticed, and 
I suppose it's just because of the assumptions people make. But I've had friends say who were adopted as babies. They, you know, they have only ever known their adopted parents as their parents, and they are their parents, and they, you know, they have a very close relationship with them. But where people would would say to them when they were children, "Oh, don't you look like your mummy?" When there's no way they could look like their mummy because their mummy is not, in fact, their biological mummy. But whether it's that people do, in fact, start looking more like each other, um, or whether the child perhaps completely subconsciously took on the mother's mannerisms so appeared to resemble her a lot more. Um, most people never guess that she was adopted in that particular situation. Um, Doctor, as an aside, I don't care much for fat kids. <laughs> um, and chicken lady saying, I have a biological child I have no relationship with. And again, it happens the other way, doesn't it? You know, and and sometimes, you know, it can be it can be very painful when that happens. But I mean, I know I know a woman, she's now well into her 70s and not well. And, you know, obviously worries about how much longer she's got left. She has a daughter in her 50s with whom she has always had a very, very troubled relationship. And the daughter turned against her years ago, unless there was fault on both sides, I'm sure it was not a, an easy situation for either of them. But this woman is desperate to reconcile with her daughter, but the daughter makes it very clear she wants nothing to do with her. She doesn't love her, she doesn't care about her, she doesn't care if she dies. And there can come a point where with that mother where she just has to accept that where she's got to stop tormenting herself trying to reconcile a relationship that may never be reconciled because it would take effort from both of them to do so yes they are biologically connected but it's as if they're complete strangers or worse than strangers because of the animosity um Jacqueline's saying there are people who resemble their dogs and vice versa, so maybe just living together causes people to change their appearance. I actually think it has something to do with the fact that people choose breeds that resemble them. Um, well, with yes, with dogs it probably does. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Um, I do wonder, though, whether people just start to resemble one another more, but I just wonder if it's, it's actually more superficial. It's to do with the way people do their hair and stuff like that. Um, Chicken ladies that you have to give it to God. Absolutely. It's it's all it's all you can really suggest. Um Dr. Torres is saying, why do adopted children feel the need to seek out their biological parents? We all have an innate need to know whence we came. It might explain why they feel different in that. I think we do have a strong need to know who we are and our ancestry. You know, we're obsessed with genealogy at the moment. People are spending ludicrous amounts of money getting their DNA ancestry sorted. By the way, that's mostly a scam, just saying so. Biological data, you're giving your DNA to private companies, just pointing this out. You know, we do have a very strong need to know where we come from. Um, and a lot of adopted children do go on to but not all, not all at all. Um, of the friends I have who were adopted, their experiences have been very different. Um, in one case I can think of, she was keen to find her birth mother just to answer some questions. You know, why was she given up for adoption? She did so with the blessing of her adopted parents, and it was wonderful. In fact, she did reconnect with her birth mother. She found out she had half-siblings. You know, the mother had 
had her when she was very young and had gone on to marry and have a family. She went out to the States because the mother had emigrated by that stage um, and went on holiday with them. And it was it had a really wonderful experience. In another case, um, the friend tried to find his birth mother. She wouldn't speak to him. And he got the sense that something truly terrible had happened to cause him to come into the world. Um, in another case, my friend just shrugged and said, my adopted parents are my parents. And that's flat. I don't need to look anywhere else. Their their heritage is my heritage. Um, and she was happy with that and they were happy with that. Um, hang on a second. <laughs> Here we go. Um, yes, Dr. Torres, you're saying I should get an English bulldog and Samuel L. Jackson, Jackson should get a black French bulldog. Um, I have a chalky. I'm not, I'm not really sure I look like that. Well, who knows? Um, Philip is saying adoption agencies used to make an effort to match children to couples with similar features where possible. Um, Paul C is saying, my dog is cute. I don't resemble my dog. Um, yes, Philip, that, that's absolutely true. And I think it is still the case if it is possible to do so. Certainly, they try to match children to parents of the same ethnicity. Um, obviously, well, you know, sometimes it's not possible, but they, they do make some efforts to just to make that process, as, that transition as, as painless as possible. Justin saying, I sought out my biological mother, even though my stepmother raised me since I was 18 months old. My mother was never a part of my life, but my grandparents were. That's interesting. Oh, CRTOL. Good morning, Crusader. Seems I've joined a delicate conversation first thing this morning. Uh, yes, sorry, I don't know quite how this happens. Mike, um, are you able to speak just at this moment? I do not look like my dog, and I'm not, a, <laughs> and I'm not adopted. <clears throat> All right, well, that's the end of the conversation then. Goodbye, have a nice day. <laughs> so I can answer the two pressing questions that have been asked thus far. You haven't answered the other pressing question. What curious event? Okay, it's the HMS Terror you're interested in. No, I just I watched the uh, the mini series on it. Okay. Um, they never. Uh, uh, I think that the actual story is is that one of them uh, or one or two of the officers actually survived. Um, but they all suffered. Uh, this is before they figured out that if you put food into cans that are made out of lead, ah. and if you have long-term exposure to that, you'll get serious brain damage. Mm. So that's one of the storylines on the HMS Terror that they uh, that they posited that the crew went bonkers, went mad, as you would say, went deaf, that the crew went deaf because they were suffering from lead poisoning. Oh, that's that happened on a number of crews, I think. Yes. I remember. Yes. yes. See, what the HMS Terror was trying to uh, navigate through what's called the Northwest Passage. So mm -hmm. uh, rather than sail around uh, uh, the, the Magellan route, the tip of South America, to try to get to the Pacific, they were trying to find a passage where you could sail um, uh, below Greenland and then up above the the northern part of Canada and Arctic Circle, then to come out on the other side uh, of the straits in between Alaska and China, which China today. 
Um, and, and you can, depending on, depending on the weather. There are years when the Northwest Passage is open. Uh, but the HMS Terror, when it went through there, the passage wasn't open, and they got stuck in the ice. Mm. Yeah. So uh, yeah, um, nice. I don't know yeah. that <laughs> I don't know that a uh, that a Yeti or a uh, or a Bigfoot or an alien ship or anything got them, <laughs> but uh, for sure they uh, they starved to death, and they never recovered that ship either. I think that ship sank. Uh, would they, I mean, it would either have sunk or maybe been might they've scuttled it possibly. Um, isn't it? I I, I want to say that the Terror is one of the uh, the wooden ships that they found, um, in uh, not too sh not too deep water around uh, the Arctic Circle there. That because it's so cold that the ship is perfectly preserved. Wow. Yes, I suppose. So that the whole ship's there, but no, no sign of anybody. What, no, um, but because the ship sank, uh, so the ship sank, and because it's in. Oh, so I thought you said they found it. Yeah, it, uh, I want to say that it's the terror there. I know, I know they found an HMS ship recently, in, like, in the last ten years. Yeah. And it, uh, okay, Justin is saying that's the endurance. Um, oh, so okay. it was the HMS. Oh endurance. yes, I heard about that. Yes. It's an. It, yeah, it, 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 it's that. fascinating because it, the because it's wood. And usually, when a, a wooden ship sinks, it doesn't take very long for the salt water to like dissolve the you know the wood. So you you, you won't find a wreckage on the bottom of the sea. Uh, you might find the Titanic made out of metal, but you wouldn't find a wooden ship. But because the water is so cold, and yeah, that's what I heard. It was it, you know, it sort of was, it was cryogenically preserved. Yes. So I don't know how did you get on the subject of of yetis and aliens and crop circles. Because today is National Curious Events Day. Ah. <laughs> yeah, so anything. So I was just asking, what events are you most curious about? You know, what happened to the Mary Celeste? What was? What is Stonehenge for? Um, you know, what, what is it that most interests you? Um, it, it wouldn't be Stonehenge. Um, I, 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 the, the most curious event to me is the flood. I'm a Deluvian. Okay. I'm a Deluvian nut. I like. Uh, I, I like. <laughs> I like studying the, the before and after of the flood, because there's simply there, there's no way to tell. Uh, uh, but it makes sense. There's no way to tell the physical properties of the, the the things that existed in nature prior to, so pre-Deluvian, and then or anti-Deluvian, and then post-Deluvian. Um, right. For example, I'm, I'm, the most fascinating thing to me is, you know the three pyramids at Giza? Mm. Okay. So the three pyramids at Giza stand perfectly shaped, perfectly preserved. Uh, it doesn't look like they're any worse for wear and tear. Although, you know, the facade, the alabaster facade has, has eroded mm. away. Um, did you know that there are over 200 pyramids? Outside of Giza, I didn't know that. No, um, most of them are rubble. So right. why do the Giza pyramids? Why do they? Why? Why do they stand to this day? Um, there's a theory that the Giza pyramids are pre-Diluvian, and that they actually survived the flood, um, proving their uh, the, their super construction. And that they weren't made, like Egypt wasn't where Egypt is today before the flood. Because, you know, the flood, it says the waters came up from the, from the, from the deep. 
Um, there is the theory that, uh, this is fascinating to me, there is the theory that there was a unicontinent, that there was only one continent, mm-hmm. and it was the flood, and the flood waters that came up from the deep, and that God kind of parted the, uh, the continents, made the Marianas Trench, made the, uh, the mountain range that, uh, that goes from all the way from Greenland all the way down to, to Antarctica uh, in the middle of the Atlantic, made the Rocky Mountains, made the, uh, uh, the Himalayas, uh, and separated the continents. So where were the pyramids built then and who built them? I think it's pretty obvious who built them. To, I mean, I think there, there, are, there are all sorts of explanations you could give as to why they survived. Um, I mean, bear in mind that the, the Neolithic temples in Malta are older than the pyramids. Are they? They're seven, yeah, they're 7,000 years old. See, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, and they are, for the most part, perfectly preserved. Um, it's just the the, clim- the climactic conditions and also um, the particular stone that was used. We still don't really know how they were built, some of them, the, the really big ones. Um, but that's, but yeah, they, they, are, they have survived the test of time. It gives me another excuse to go to Malta now. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see this. Yeah. And, and I, I, I would also like to add that I wholeheartedly agree. Why are people sending their, their genetic material to, to perfect strangers? This makes absolutely no sense to me. Hmm. People go on and on about government surveillance and things like that, but they perfectly happily give away their most private and intimate information to complete strangers. Um, and and it's, it's mostly, it's mostly it's been described as a form of... Um, how do they call it? Archaeological astrology. It doesn't really teach you very much about your origins. Right. And we, now we used to have these things called family trees that, we, mm. that, that people labored over to preserve. Like, yeah. for, for example, um, uh, I put a book back into print called The Life of Washington about George Washington. <laughs> and uh, it, came, it was originally written in five volumes by his namesake, Washington Irving. And the genealogy of George Washington, you know, he was English. Who was? Washington's family was English. Yeah. So his English name was Wessington. Mm-hmm. So, and this is a, I forget the village, but uh, there's a village. And Washington Irving, actually, to, to, to track Washington's uh, genealogy, he actually, went, actually got on a boat, sailed to England, found the church, and then, of course, back in the day, the Catholic Church kept extraordinary baptism, marriage, and death, and, and death records, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the whole history uh, of the Anglican, or the, uh, the, uh, uh, of the English people is, is kept in uh, the registries of the old Catholic Church that the Protestants didn't sack and burn. Mm. And that's where, that's where Irving found all of the baptismal records. And the marriage records of Washington's family going all the way back to the ninth century. Wow. Yes, he, yeah. he, his family was one of those that was what you would have called back in the day an indentured servant. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a fascinating thing. But that's how people kept records of their families. You didn't have to hire 23andMe. You asked Grandma. Yeah. <laughs> Grandma would know. Well, well, one of the one of the reasons why it's relatively easy if you're Maltese to trace your ancestry is because we didn't have reformations and revolutions and things like that. So we have a lot of t- documents available, and that's an amazing thing. 
Yeah. So how far back can you trace yours? Um, My father's family, I can trace it back to the time of the Knights because he was from slave ancestry. So we can trace it from when his ancestor arrived in Malta. On my mother's side, we can trace it back to the 11th century, to the Normans. So, go back to the uh, to the early part of the 18th century with my French ancestors, mm-hmm. which I can tell you uh, went lived in the early part of the 18th century at what is Front Royal today, uh, New Scotland, Nova Scotia. After mm-hmm. after the English, I forget which English king sailed past it and declared that he owned it, <laughs> even though the French <laughs> um, had already were already there. And uh, you're not narrowing it down very much, to be honest. I can't um, remember. It was seven. Okay, so who would have been king right? Seventeen twelve. Uh, Whoever that was, that that is the king that claimed that, right. and then they changed the name. Because it was uh, Acadie, that's what it was called, Acadian, Acadie, and they changed it to New Scotland, Nova Scotia. Okay, yes, I know this story. Now, wasn't there, isn't there a famous poem? I think there is. About the Arcadians, I remember. It being oh, yeah, 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 okay, uh, that's... Um, 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 Evangeline. Evangeline, that's Longfellow. Yes, yes. yes. Yay! It's my favorite, it's, it's my new favorite name is Evangeline. Yes. Well, the heroine, the heroine of this thing of darkness, is called Evangeline. Yes, and uh, there's an American actress. Her name is Evangeline Lilly. Mm. Yes, that's a lovely name. Yes, well, and, and and did you know that prior to Longfellow composing Evangeline, the history of the Acadie uh, was not very well known, and there wasn't a lot of interest in it. Okay, but he sparked. So he... Yes, there was also there, there was all manner of interest in it. And the the mm. greatest, I don't, I don't know. Do you say diaspora or diaspora? Diaspora. All right, diaspora. The greatest diaspora in in history in in the history of Christendom was the French that were chased out by the American Anglicans and Protestants from Front Royal, put on uh, in, uh, put on ships and imprisoned, and then they either fled south, or they fled west, or they were shipped back to France. Yeah. This is in the the, the great dia- diaspora of seventeen fifty seven. Um, and there's a there, there's a book that has that's come out recently about uh, about this tragedy. So those are things that are interesting to me. Right. Okay. We we'll have to we we'll have to discuss them further. Me and my friend Michael Hitchburn have done several shows on antediluvian and postdiluvian history, okay. and the fact that that's why Noah. It's in the Bible that the reason that Noah got drunk. After after uh, the ark went back on to after the the, the waters went down and uh, after he was back on land and made wine is because the potency of it is is because the physical nature had changed pre diluvian and anti diluvian and uh, he he was previously able to drink a lot more wine. <laughs> and then after that's, the flood, that's his story, is it? Yeah. <laughs> and that's why uh, that's why he got drunk. So, uh, yeah, anyways, yeah. I uh, uh, I study antediluvian, pre-diluvian is most fascinating to me. Okay, that's good to know, Mike. And I will see you tomorrow. That you will. It is.
29 minutes past the hour. It's been my absolute pleasure to bring you the early show all the way from an unseasonably warm England. Don't forget to write to me at Fiorella at CrusadeChannel.com. And the chat room is open for your commentary as well at CrusadeChannel.com forward slash chat. I'll now leave you with the King Dude, Mike Church himself. You're listening to the Crusade Channel. Live talk radio the way it should be. Mm-hmm.